0: hello everyone welcome to a Millennial learns thank you all so much for joining me today if you have not left a review please do so on the apple podcast app you can give it five stars or write a review that'd be awesome um today is our monday episode which if you are new here we do a bible centered episode on thursdays right now so i summarize a chunk of this of the bible and then on mondays i do any topic that i want so i basically Think of a topic that I want to know more about that I currently don't. I spend the week researching and putting together like an outline, um, and then I present all that research to you. So, I have been in a big kick of researching different faiths, mostly offshoots of Christianity, although I will definitely get into the non Christian realm here shortly. But I have really been interested in how every like all these denominations believe. So, i try to follow different people on instagram like people of all kind of backgrounds and i followed this jehovah's witness page um, and some of the things that they were saying really intrigued me so i decided to sit down and do a full week of research into jehovah's witness their core beliefs their history why they believe what, what they believe. And I think a lot of people just think of Jehovah's Witnesses as like the people that will go door to door and evangelize to you. Um, there is definitely a strong emphasis on evangelism, but I wanted to know why. So this is the history and the core beliefs of Jehovah's Witnesses. Alright, so let's get right into it. We're going to go over the history of Jehovah's Witnesses first, because the origin story of all of these different offshoots is always very, very interesting. Now, I am reading from the Britannica.com. They always have very, very good research on the history and beliefs of all these things. I've only used them for, I think, my religious episodes, but they're always very solid, so I would highly recommend them as a resource. Okay, so this says that Jehovah's Witnesses are a member of the millennialist denomination that developed within the larger 19th century Adventist movement in the United States. Now it has spread worldwide, but it did start out in the U.S. Um, So they're an an outgrowth of the International Bible Students Association, which was founded in 1972 in Pittsburgh. Now, a man named Charles Taze Oops, I said that weird. Charles Taze Russell was the one who's like credited with founding the actual church in 1872. But if you back up a little bit, the whole Advent Adventist movement that they mentioned before, um, it really emerged in the 1830s, and it. It came out of the predictions of this man named William Miller, and he proclaimed that, you know, since we're all waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ, he thought that it was going to be in either 1843 or 1844, which is very risky to put an actual date on it. First of all, I don't really understand because in the New Testament, many times, which we just read through, go check out my Bible episodes, <laughs> but. In the Gospels, many times, Jesus says, like, no one is going to know the exact day or time. Not even Jesus knows the exact day or time. So, to put a number prediction on when Jesus is going to come back seems like a fool's errand. So, naturally, Jesus did not come back in 1843 or 1844. And so, once that happened and people realized, like, that was wrong, the Adventists themselves, like, the whole group of Adventists ended up dividing into quite a few different factions so during the 1870s Charles Taze Russell uh, said that he was like an independent Adventist teacher and he gained a lot of controversy because he rejected some of the core beliefs so he no longer believed in hell as a place of eternal torment he doesn't believe in the trinity theology and he denies the divinity of Jesus And then he said, this says that he interpreted the second coming in accordance with the literal translation of the original Greek term parousia, which means presence. And said that Christ would come as an invisible presence and that the parousia or millennial dawn had already occurred in 1874. So that is kind of interesting. The coming of Christ's invisible presence signaled the end of the current order of society and would be followed by his visible presence in the establishment of the Millennial Kingdom on Earth in 1914. Okay, so it said, although the kingdom did not come in 1914, Russell's teachings motivated a number of volunteers to circulate many of his books and pamphlets and a periodical, The Watchtower, to recalculate the time of the parousia. Okay, so... There's an important thing here, and we go into this more when we talk about the core beliefs, but essentially, since William Miller thought that Jesus Christ would return in 1843 or 1844, that was calculated off of something like in the old testament i think it was like the seven days like it'll be seven days until i return and days are like thousands of years or something and so that date was settled to be 1843. well then based off of that basically um what is his name again i just forgot charles taze russell said no it he did come in that he was just invisible and then his calculation of however many years after, I think it's like 70 years later, which would make sense. Um, So he said, okay, 70 years later, that's when his visible presence will come and his kingdom will be established in 1914. So when that didn't happen, they didn't just say, oh, it didn't happen. They said, oh, we must've gotten the date of that 1844 wrong because this is all definitely true. And we're going to just recalculate the numbers. It must be just off. So, remember the Watchtower is a periodical circulated by this group that is supposed to recalculate the time of the Parousia. Okay. In addition to the International Bible Students Association, Russell formed the Watchtower Bible, yeah, Russell formed the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society of Pennsylvania in 1884, and he made himself president. Then he transferred that to Brooklyn. Okay. Russell was succeeded by As president in 1917 by Joseph Franklin Rutherford and he changed the group's name to Jehovah's Witness in 1931 to really drive the point home that their belief was in Jehovah or Yahweh and that he is the true God and that the followers of him so his witnesses were his chosen followers. It said Rutherford molded the witnesses into a cadre of dedicated evangelists. So this is where this comes from. Joseph Franklin Rutherford really put the emphasis on evangelism, and that is why the stereotype now is like a Jehovah's Witness will be at your door. Um so he equipped them with these sermonettes on street corners that you could play in like the living room when they showed up. And so they made it very easy to get their message across quickly. They had like they had it like locked it. You know, they had little pamphlets, they had little phonographs that would play his mini-sermons, and so it was a very tight-knit group that was spreading their message. Okay, Rutherford's successor, Nathan Homer Knorr, uh, assumed the presidency in 1942 and expanded his policies. He established the Watchtower Bible School of Gilead in New York, that is specifically to train missionaries and leaders <clears throat> and um he set up like adult education programs to train witnesses to get converts and so again evangelism is quite the you know huge emphasis in this there were a couple more precedents as time went on and um the headquarters was moved to Warwick, New York in 2016. So if you go to Warwick, New York, you will see the Jehovah's Witness headquarters. It's a recent move, but that is where they are kind of based out of. So that is the history, briefly, of Jehovah's Witnesses. Again, I will link that uh, all of these resources below in the episode notes, so go check that out if you are curious. But let's get into their beliefs because some of them really caught me off guard and i've been thinking about this trinity one for a very long time and i'll tell you my thoughts about it but um yeah let's get into the beliefs okay so god they believe in one true almighty god creator named jehovah god of abraham moses and jesus so this is from their actual website i just pulled so the Bible, they believe, is that the inspired message of God to humans, include they include the Old and the New Testaments, and they are not fundamentalists, but they recognize that some of the Bible is figurative or symbolic. So it sounds like they don't believe in like a literal seven-day creation period, essentially. Um, I'm sure that goes further into some of the figurative and symbolic differences, but... That's when I, that's my first thought when I read that. Okay, Jesus, here's where it gets crazy. Well, not crazy, but it's, okay. It's definitely different than mainstream non-denominational. It says, we follow the teachings and example of Jesus Christ and honor him as our savior and as the son of God. Up until that point, was not alarmed thus we are christians however we have learned from the bible that jesus is not almighty god and that there is no scriptural basis for the trinity doctrine they use a special translation called the new world translation so the new world translation sounds very sketchy to me but basically what they believe and i had never put this together before that a group could believe this i always thought that people believed that jesus was god and was like the son of God, and therefore was your savior, or that they didn't really believe that Jesus was your savior. Jehovah's Witnesses actually believe that Jesus was perfect. He lived the perfect life, was human fully, doesn't believe he was fully God, but because he was still perfect, died on the cross, he was still the savior without being, act- like, without actually being god so they don't believe in the trinity they believe the father is god they believe jesus is not god but simply god's son still died on the cross was still perfect still accept him as the savior and the only way to get to god and then believe in the holy spirit um as an active force to help remind christians of what jesus taught when he was on earth which that makes sense like when i read about the holy spirit in the gospels when he said i will leave you with my spirit or with like the holy spirit to help prompt you or remind you of things that i've taught after i'm gone like that part kind of makes sense it gets very sketchy when you're saying that jesus is not god though Um, He's definitely the son of God. And so, you know, the normal non-denominational view is that like all three of them together make up the one God. But they reject that Trinity doctrine and yet still believe that Jesus is their savior, which is very interesting. Um, So. Yeah, I don't know. I've been thinking about that a ton and. I can actually kind of see where that would make sense, but I need to do more research on the Trinity because I do think Jesus is God, but they make a very, um, they make a very convincing point. So anyway, that will be a different episode, but that is what they believe. And I've never in my mind thought that you could reconcile those two, that Jesus isn't actually God and yet he's still your savior. So, that was interesting to read about. Okay, the kingdom of God. This gets back into the history a little bit, but they believe that the kingdom of God is a real like govern government in heaven. It will replace human governments and accomplish God's purpose for the earth. They believe we are living in the last days and Jesus is the king of God's kingdom in heaven and that that kingdom in heaven was established in 1914. So that whole fiasco about how Jesus didn't come back in 1914, the conclusion of that basically was that Jesus is the king of God's kingdom in heaven. And it was established in 1914, but he just didn't come back visibly yet. So there's some reasons why they believe that it's 1914. And let me just open up this link really quick because it's pretty interesting because i my question was why does heaven care at all about what year it is on earth what time it is this doesn't make any sense but this is the answer so it says what does bible chronology indicate about the year 1914 this is from jehovah's witness.org says the Bible's answer. Bible chronology indicates that God's kingdom was established in heaven in 1914. This is shown by a prophecy recorded in chapter four of the the Bible book of Daniel. So the overview of the prophecy is that God caused King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon to have a prophetic dream about an immense tree that was chopped down. Its stump was prevented from growing for a period of seven times, after which the tree would grow again. So the initial fulfillment of the tree of the of the prophecy i mean it says the great tree represented king nebuchadnezzar himself he was figuratively chopped down when he temporarily lost his sanity and kingship for a period of seven years when god restored his sanity he regained his throne and acknowledged god's rulership okay but they think that this has a greater fulfillment of the prophecy and it says The whole purpose of the prophecy was that people living may know that the most high is ruler in the kingdom of mankind and that he gives it to whomever he wants and he sets up over it even the lowliest of men. I think I read that terribly, but let me try that again. People living may know that the most high is ruler in the kingdom of mankind and that he gives it to whomever he wants and he sets up over it even the lowliest of men. Okay, that was a little better. So that was in Daniel... 417. And said, Was proud Nebuchadnezzar the one to whom God ultimately wanted to give such rulership? No, for God had earlier given him another prophetic dream, showing that neither he nor any other political ruler would fill his role. Instead, God would himself set up a kingdom that would never be destroyed. Previously, God had set up a kingdom to represent his rulership on earth, the ancient nation of Israel. God allowed that kingdom to be made a ruin because its rulers had become unfaithful, but he foretold that he would give kingship to the one who has legal right. The Bible identifies Jesus Christ as the one legally authorized to receive this everlasting kingdom. Unlike unlike Nebuchadnezzar, Jesus is lowly in heart, just as was prophesied. Okay, so what does the tree of Daniel chapter 4 represent? In the Bible, trees sometimes represent rulership. Um, in the greater fulfillment of David, of Daniel chapter four, the immense tree symbolizes God's rulership. Um, so essentially, they say that the seven times, like it was cut down after Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem, then you know there were the quote seven times represent the period of which God allowed the nations to rule over Earth, not His kingdom. And then the seven times began on the day that Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians, which was October of 607 BC. So if you go seven times out from that, um, which the Bible says the length of the prophetic seven times, it says that three and a half times equals twelve hundred and sixty days. So seven times is twice twice that. And if you count the days after you know that like time clock which was 607 BC um that lands you at October of 1914 so um oh sorry it's not 2520 days they say that the prophetic rule for a day is a year so they added 25 25- 2,520 years to that 607 BC, which lands you in October of 1917. So very, very interesting beliefs. So they believe that now God's kingdom is ruling over Earth since 1917, and it's just not visible yet okay salvation they believe that salvation comes from the ransom sacrifice of jesus baptism is required for salvation works prove that faith is alive so they believe in um you know faith just pure belief alone but then also like we were talking about in last bible episode that your works are proof i guess that you're that you are saved and that your faith is alive in your life. So they do believe though that salvation cannot be earned. Okay, heaven. They believe that only 144,000 people will be resurrected to life in heaven to, as rulers. So they'll help Jesus like rule the kingdom. And so that's only a select few, only 144,000. At first I thought that this meant that only 144,000 people will ever be in heaven. So I was like, why would they want to evangelize? Because that can mean that someone else that you save could take your spot in heaven. (laughs) And that would suck. But no, there is an unlimited amount of people that can actually get to heaven. But only 144,000 people will be chosen to help rule heaven. Um, And that comes from like the 12 tribes. There's a lot of theology around the 12 tribes. And so actually a lot of denominations that I've seen have like some sort of uh doctrine that includes 144,000 people okay um so in that space in this physical heaven it's jesus who is the king and then god is there and angels all reside in the spirit realm okay god uh, for earth god created earth to be mankind's eternal home Uh, God will bless obedient people with perfect health and everlasting life in an earthly paradise. So again, everyone is going to be able to, who believe, everyone who believes is going to be able to get into this new earth and this heaven on earth, if you will. Okay, evil Their thoughts around evil. Evil began when Satan, one of God's angels, rebelled. In order to settle moral issues raised by Satan, God allows evil and suffering, but will not permit them forever. So, pretty similar, I think, to non denominational uh, beliefs. Death. um, Dead people will pass out of existence, but there is no hell. So, the belief is that God will bring back billions with the resurrection. Like, Every single person that has died will be brought back. Then there's like a period of time there when they're brought back to life. And those who refuse to learn God's ways after the resurrection will be destroyed forever. So you can, you know, like, let's say someone died 20 years ago. They'll get raised up. There will be this time, which I believe is the time of tribulation. I believe that's what they're referencing. So if you go through... Well, I just hit my mic. Sorry about that. Uh, you will go through this time of tribulation, and then anyone who believes will then be able to live with perfect health and be on this new earth that we've talked about. But if you don't believe, you'll just be destroyed. There's no hell. You just pass out of existence. And my question is, does it even matter then if you, like believe in God because I don't know not that you want to be motivated to believe by a punishment but there is literally no punishment for not believing in God you have a slightly less good life here well a very much less good life I guess but but then if you don't believe you're just just doesn't matter you just don't exist anymore and that seems to go against what I've just read in the new testament where lazarus you know there was a rich man he wouldn't give the beggar any food he they both died the beggar went to you know heaven's side essentially and the rich man who was all greedy went to this place where there was a huge chasm between them and he was like please just give me like one little bit of water on my tongue i'm so desperate that was like the hell you know, and so it the Bible does speak of a hell. And so I'm not sure why there's just this belief that there is suddenly no hell at all. Um, but they do not believe in hell and they believe that you will basically just pass out of existence or be elevated to this, you know, perfect life on earth or be one of the 144,000 rulers. Okay, family. So they believe marriage is between a man and a woman and sexual sexual immorality is the only reason for divorce. So they do not, they're not big into divorce unless someone is unfaithful. Uh, For worship, they do not venerate a cross. So you will not find a cross in a Jehovah's Witness uh, place of worship. They actually don't believe that Jesus was um, was killed on a cross or died on a cross they believe that the translation is different and it was more like a stake and so first of all they don't venerate the cross because they believe it's idolatry or at least getting close to idolatry second of all they don't really agree on the shape so multiple reasons there uh they pray to god they read the bible they meet together sing preach and help people they're big into disaster relief if there's like a natural disaster um, so those are all the things they do for worship, but that you will not find a cross. They also do not practice tithing, which is interesting. They think it's part of the old law that's been erased. I would disagree. Um, Jesus did talk kind of against tithing in the gospels, but it was because, the pharisees were tithing but like being huge hypocrites and being terrible in every other aspect of their life so they're saying he was saying like this is worthless if you keep with these traditions and you know are still terrible people um and and don't do these other good things but i don't think he was erasing all of tithing but they believe that the old law um specified tithing that that's been erased and so they don't take any collections at their meeting but they are encouraged to be generous through voluntary donations to the church. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses also don't usually um, focus on education. So this might be a like a cynical viewpoint. But it could be because they don't want to pressure their, you know, con- I don't want to say constituents. That sounds too political. But their congregations, if they don't have a lot of money, if they're, you know, usually... Uh, from what I've read, Jehovah's Witnesses, since they are more focused on practical applications of things or not going to higher education, possibly they might not have the best paying jobs. And so they don't want to pressure their congregation into giving all their money. Now, again, that's a very cynical approach. It's probably just a theo- theological thing. Um, but yeah, gener- or donations are all Voluntary, and they're just encouraged to be as generous as they can be. Okay, and then they are associated again with the Watchtower Society, which does writing and publishing for Bibles and tracts and educational videos, and they do a lot of charity as well. Okay, now we get to the customs. So, this is where I saw like my friend in elementary school not be able to like say the pledge. So some of their rules or customs that i saw were that Jehovah's witnesses do not salute the American flag. reverence to a flag is seen as idol worship. and i can kind of see if you are very 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 strict on the rules how you could get to this logic you shouldn't like bow down to anything besides god or take oaths or you know any of that so they carry that to the point where they will not say the pledge or put their hand over their heart if they see a flag. Nothing like that. They're pretty much... for Now, okay, I'm going to say the sentence and then I'm going to give a caveat. From what I read, they're only allowed to socialize with other Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, if you go online, there are a lot of hate websites about Jehovah's Witnesses. I tried to just go to the Jehovah Witness website so that I could get a good picture. Same thing with Mormons. If a lot of people, when they leave the church of these two, go and write these blogs that say these extreme things. Like, there's some lady who left the Jehovah's Witness church and now just writes like these hate articles on Jehovah's Witnesses and like 10 things you'll never be able to, like, you would never believe about Jehovah's Witnesses. And then she writes just terrible things. And. I'm sure she was just hurt by the church or something, but I try not to go to anything remotely similar to those because I want to give a fair shot. I don't want to be like, hey, Jehovah's Witnesses can't see anyone other than Jehovah's Witnesses. Because that's probably not correct, or there's probably some guideline about like not spending too much time with other non-Jehovah's Witnesses, something like that. So anyway, I found on a website that that's a rule, but what I'm assuming is that you can socialize with other Jehovah's Witness- with other non-Jehovah's Witnesses in an effort to bring them to your faith, but probably are encouraged to have your core group be Jehovah's Witnesses because you're all on the same page with like what you are and what you're not allowed to do. That's just what I can gather, because not a lot of other websites said that you're not allowed to socialize with other non-Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay, this is a big one. They cannot have blood transfusions. So there's a verse in the Bible that talks about not misusing blood, like not eating or using blood, and it's in the New Testament. When I read that verse, I took it as eating blood. Like he was talking about um, you know, consuming blood the blood of an animal like in the old testament and so um i didn't take it as that at all let me try to find this verse really quick because um i'm i want to look it up for everyone okay why don't jehovah witnesses accept blood transfusions this is on the jehovah's website this is a religious issue rather than a medical one. Both the Old and New Testaments clearly demand us to abstain from blood. Now the New Testament one that they're referring to is Acts 15 28 and 29. Um, it says God views blood as representing life, so we avoid taking blood not only in obedience to God but out of respect for him as the giver of life. Yeah, let me open Acts 1528 and 29. This is from their New World translation. It says, for the Holy Spirit and we ourselves have favored adding no further burden to you except these necessary things. To keep abstaining from things sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what is strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you carefully keep yourselves from these things, you will prosper. Good health to you. So, okay, just looking at the context here, and I could be definitely wrong, but... To keep abstaining from these things. It lists three things that are associated with sacrificing animals. Uh, To keep abstaining from things sacrificed to idols, from blood, and from what is strangled. Those are all talking about, like, don't eat something that is strangled, don't eat this blood, or don't eat things sacrificed to idols. So, in no way did I get that you can't have a blood transfusion from that, but that is the interpretation of Jehovah's Witnesses, that because you're supposed to abstain from blood in general, you should not be getting blood transfusions. Okay, another custom, again, is their evangelism. Many go door-to-door and try to recruit people away from the devil who they think rules the physical earth currently. Okay, then they don't celebrate birthdays um which would be a bummer as a kid but they don't celebrate birthdays they believe that the celebration of birthdays was originally a pagan custom it was meant to ward off evil spirits and so they would say like on your birthday they thought evil spirits were coming and so that's why the celebration of the birthday happened to ward those off it also they say detracts from celebrating jesus's death which i guess i don't know i don't really see the argument in that unless Unless your birthday is on Good Friday, which is where we celebrate Jesus' death. Um, I don't know if that one holds much water. This is the thing. With a lot of these Jehovah's Witnesses' um, beliefs, I understand them because it's basically like if the root of anything could have been bad, then you are not allowed to participate in that no matter how far off of the original meaning it's been. So saying, bless you, let's say, after you sneeze. The original part of that was because they, people believed that your soul escaped your body, like a little part of your soul escaped your body when you sneezed. And then people were saying, bless you, so that the devil couldn't grab your soul. I imagine that Jehovah's Witnesses could not would not say, God bless you, after a sneeze because the original origin was in a pagan or evil uh, root. So um i'm trying to think what else like christmas is more uh oh oh, here's another one no throwing rice uh on newlyweds because that tradition was rooted in the fact that they were wishing good luck to someone and since they don't believe in luck they're not allowed to throw rice on weddings it can't be like a oh it's fun to throw rice like that's cute uh, it was because like they take the root of things very, very seriously. They don't give toasts toasts at like weddings or anything because that has roots in false religious customs. So again, it's like if anything had a very bad root of something or even just something that's like tied to luck, you do not celebrate those um higher education is discouraged to be uh because of the environment it's very hard to be well it's not the hardest thing ever but it's hard to be a christian in college in america for the most part today you can find a group but the last time i checked there were not a ton of jehovah's witnesses groups around so they discourage higher education because there's so much deviance going around in the environment of college they don't want them to be really a part of that because it's easy to get kind of sucked in to that. They're encouraged to report bad behavior about other witnesses to help keep people accountable. They engage in more courting than like traditional what we would think of as dating. They have chaperones on dates to make sure that no physical boundaries are crossed, to make sure there's no funny business going on, you know. So they take dating and courting very seriously as a preparation for marriage. Um, okay, they do not participate in war or fighting. This is very similar to the Amish that we uh, researched last week. They don't believe in war, and so they will not sign up for, like, World War II, which world? I get, like, for some wars, if there's not a human injustice going on, if it's, like, an economic war, I kind of understand, like, saying I'm not going to participate in this, but it just seems wrong in World War II, not going to lie, like, I definitely struggle with that idea. If I ever <laughs> converted to Jehovah's Witnesses, I'd be like, I want to go fight in world, world War II. If there's a large genocide happening, I feel like there's an obligation to go fight in a war. So, um, but they are, they, they will not be found fighting. Um, Okay, they're to remain neutral in all political affairs and avoid affiliation with any other religion. This is based off of the root that Christians are not a part of the world. So they don't really participate in politics. They're not even supposed to have, like, they're not even supposed to express their views on anything political. So most Jehovah's Witnesses are not really, I don't think, paying attention to... Politics, because that is not where their focus is. Their focus is on the new heaven, the new earth, and the new kingdom, uh, where they will live, you know, in perfect health and they're like in heaven. Jehovah's Witnesses, for the most part, dress very modestly. That is a big focus for women. Um, And they can celebrate anniversaries, which is a little bit confusing because they don't celebrate birthdays because it could detract from celebrating Jesus's death. Although I don't think that's like their main focus. I really do think it's because mostly because it was meant to ward off evil spirits. But um anniversaries it seems would also detract from celebrating Jesus's death, but um that's what makes me think that the whole like detracts from celebrating Jesus is a minor minor point because Anything could do that. Like anything could detract from celebrating Jesus' death. So I doubt that's like a a huge reason. But they can celebrate anniversaries like of couples, but some choose not to. Some choose to. There's no real rules about it. So that is the history and the customs and beliefs of Jehovah's Witnesses. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, make sure to rate and review the podcast. Thank you for listening. And next week we are going over the book of Acts in our Bible study episode. So I will see you on Thursday for that. Bye everyone.